There was a survey by LinkedIn that said 94% of employees would stay at a company longer if it invested in their career development. Welcome to the Joy Powered Workspace podcast, where we help HR and business leaders embrace joy in the workspace. I'm Jody Curtis, owner of Purple Ink and powered by Purple Ink. With me is my friend and co-host Susan White, owner of Susan Tender White Consulting, an HR consulting practice. Susan is also a member of the Powered by Purple Inc. Network. Today's episode is focused on training Q&A. This topic selection is a listener choice co-winner. So thanks to all of you who voted for it. Not only was this a listener's choice winner, but all of our questions today came from you, our listeners. Susan, before we start sharing the questions, I thought we might just talk about our own journey in learning and development and experiences related to that. What's your story? Sure. You know, when I went into HR, training wasn't even on my radar as one of the options. I really thought I'd want to do recruiting and employee relations. But right after I joined HR, there was a need to... um, take some people within the organization I worked for and certify them in sales training. And I was really lucky because I got selected to do that. And it was such a wonderful experience. It was very intense certification and I, I really enjoyed it. Then turns out a couple of years later, after I had my first child, they did a reorganization in HR and they asked me to be a training and development officer, which I thought, you know what? I loved that training I did in sales, um, I'd give it a shot. And it was so fun because I got to create programs and then deliver programs and became certified in a number of other external programs that we wanted to bring into the organization. So that was so fun. And I I even started teaching at night principles of bank operations inside our organization and then ultimately at a local university um, in the evenings. And it just really, it took off. I really, really enjoyed it. Now, most of my career, I did not spend in training and development. I really spent it to the areas that I thought I would want to do, recruiting and employee relations and strategy and HR business partnering and all that. But I have always throughout the years, given the opportunity, raised my hand if there's a chance to train. Yeah. You know, I learned something about you today, Susan. I didn't realize you had had that role in training. So, well, you know, in many industries or specific positions, there are continuing education requirements to maintain certifications and or some companies might require a certain amount of education just from their own rules. So, you know, I've told you many times that I spent 21 years in public accounting and that is one of those industries. From the first year I was in public accounting to my 21st year, I had an enormous amount of training. CPAs need to average 40 hours a year to keep up their certification, which can be in a number of different areas. It doesn't have to be all accounting classes. And then I obtained my first HR certification in 1995, which requires an average of 20 hours a year. Now I can use my HR credits to keep my CPA, but I can't use my accounting credits for Mm. my SHRM SCP. 
But since I started Purple Ink in 2010, I really have made it a priority for myself and my team to learn from others. It's not just about the credits, but that is a part of it as well. I became an occasional trainer in 1993 and have continued to train for the last 30 years. I didn't Mm. always do it a lot. I've had years where I did it, you know, it was my main focus and some years where I didn't do much of it at all. But it is one of the reasons why I moved from the accounting role to an HR role is I had started volunteering to train about accounting topics, believe it or not. And I certainly (laughs) anymore, (laughs) but that's very riveting. Yeah. Yeah. That's where I got my first taste of training. And because I had always had so much training I think I failed to consider that many people were not provided or allowed to attend training internally, externally, anyway. Actually, one of my best friends from college, whom I graduated with, has worked at the same company for almost 40 years. And except for safety training, she has never had any kind of training internally externally, going to a conference. And by the way, she is um, she went there as an accountant, but coincidentally, she ta- has taken on some HR roles as well, too. So she wow. did it in either area. So I think this is important for all human resources, learning and development leaders, and business leaders to understand What requirements do your employees need to meet for certification? And what what education do you want your people to have to keep up with current information in their roles? What conferences might they attend? What internal training might you offer to employees? And maybe also, is it time for you to have your own learning and development team in your organization? So lots of things to think about regarding training. So let's jump in to our listener questions. Susan, our first question was, how do you train employees without being condescending? Ooh, yikes. I feel terrible if any employee felt like they were being talked down to or not respected. My advice would be, to really think about the tone you're going to use, think about the content, think about how do you, before you even start talking about what it is that they need to be trained on, how do you build rapport with the class and really spend some time? Maybe they people come in with a bit of an edge, perhaps. Maybe they think they know what it is you're going to teach them and they don't come in, you know, feeling respected. Spend some time initially doing the icebreakers, getting people opening up a little bit, you know, and share your passion for what the topic is and or your credentials. So they understand you're coming from a place that you've taken it seriously, that you really do want to share the knowledge you have, but you want to do it the why you want to do it. Um, I think that can help from coming across as too teachy or preachy. Yeah. You know, one of the things I say almost every time I teach a class is that I tell the participants 
that I learn from the class as well mm. too. And that the more they share and or engage, it's not all about me teaching them. It's about learning from the group as a whole. So I've always hoped that was helpful to groups to think yeah, like, I love that. I'm not always the know-it-all, be-it-all, but mm-hmm. I do have some experience or training in this area. So, Yeah, I like that approach. Our second question, Jody, is any advice we have on implementing women leadership workshops? Yes, I think this is an interesting one that I've had from my own personal experience as well as having implemented some of these in organizations as well, too. And especially in today's environment, I think what I've experienced before is men saying, well, what are you learning about that I don't need to? Like, why have you excluded men from this workshop or from this training? But There's also a feeling amongst many women who say, hey, we're not, you know, we're not equal or we're not getting paid as much. And why is that? And we want to build our skills in a different way that men Mm -hmm. do. So I think you have to be careful if you're implementing one internally to be open. We have a client who has over a thousand employees and they do separate women leadership workshops, but they do open them up to anyone and everyone. And they do have men who attend based on what the topic is. Um, So they're not being exclusive, even though, you know, I'm sure some men don't feel welcomed at them either. So anyway, I think it it can be a little bit tricky. I'm all about learning. And if there's things that, you know, we can teach that are different for women or that women would feel more comfortable talking about in a group of women, then let's do it. With your experience, what are some of the topics that you have seen put into women leadership workshops? Yes. So, you know, one in particular that I went through many years, 20 years ago, talked about business development for women, which Mm. I found, I still to this day remember some things I learned from that talk. And one was that a lot of men do business development around sports activities. You know, they might be golfers and invite their clients or prospects for or to do a round of golf or to play in a golf tournament. And that that was a great way to get to know those prospects or build relationships with clients as well. Now, obviously, women can do that as well, too, but they might not be as interested in that or wanting to do it that way. And so one of our senior leaders in my organization, when I went through that, was talking about how she loves music and she loved Mm. going to the symphony and going to concerts and that she found herself more comfortable if her husband attended with her. And then she invited a couple 
to mm-hmm. join them on an evening or for a dinner, something like that as well, too. Thinking that it might seem odd, certainly doesn't need to, but this was her experience that she felt a bit uncomfortable inviting a male, which many of her clients were, bad. That was the reality. And so she found different ways to connect, Mm -hmm. to do business development than women. Um, We also at Purple Inc. have a six-month women in leadership series where we talk about needs and challenges of female leaders. Um, It can really be for women at any level in an organization around barriers that women Mm -hmm. might feel they have or that maybe they actually have as well, too. So. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. All right. Question number three was, how can we best train managers to give performance reviews? I think this is really a need because in today's world, there's so many people, managers and supervisors who have never been through any type of coaching and feedback training. I think that the performance review, if your organization gives whether it's formal performance reviews or if it's just feedback meetings, you really owe it to your supervisors and your managers to give them, equip them with some skills on how to deliver feedback information. You also really owe it to your employees so they they get meaningful feedback. I had developed for a company that I've used now several times because the organization said, you know, we're getting ready for annual performance reviews. We always take a hit on our employee engagement surveys about the fact that people feel like they're not getting honest and timely feedback. Can you help us? And so it's very simple. You know, I talk about the gift of feedback, why it's so important that people need it. Even your best performers want to hear that they're doing great. And if you have anything they could do better, they want to hear it. Your worst performers, they deserve to know that because maybe they're in the wrong job. So anyway, I just think you have to really focus on why you're doing it. It's not to check off a box. It's to give this really necessary information to help people get better or be as good as they can be. And then I do think you need to role play with your managers and say, I'm going to give you some scenarios. And it's really easy to come up with different types of scenarios that managers are going to face where they're going to have to tell people things they may not want to hear. Role play it with them. Let them get comfortable. Give them coaching in the moment advice. And then honestly, I think it's important that you get feedback from your managers after they've delivered performance reviews, after you've trained them to see what did you miss? Is there anything that we could tighten up? Or is there anything you wish you had known before you did that, that might help? And then I would also get feedback from employees. How was your performance review? Did you get the information you needed? Is there anything you wish you would hear or could have asked that what could have occurred in that meeting that would have made it more ideal for you? Right. Okay, so question number four Jody, how do you help HR leaders teach their managers how to delegate? I think this is one of the most important things that we can teach leaders and that I have found over the years, I have taught people in delegation courses or classes or just talking about it one-on-one. I've taught people who have, you know, one, two, three years experience And I've talked to people who have 40 years of experience on this. And I find no correlation between 
<laughs> the uh, their experience or their level in the organization. But I do tell those younger and or people with less experience that is a skill set if they learn early on will carry them through their mm-hmm. entire career. And I personally feel there's a lot of things I don't do well, but mm-hmm. delegation is, I think, a superpower of mine. That's great. I, I'm not afraid to delegate. I love to delegate. <laughs> and I've had many people over the years who have come back and thanked me for delegating effectively to them because then they learned how to do it. Mm. But ultimately, the answer to the question, I think, is the same as what you said about performance reviews, is that people need to understand why should I delegate? Most people I hear from on this topic will say, but it's just so much quicker, better, faster if I do it myself, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, and it is. It is that first time you're teaching someone and maybe the second time too, but if it's an ongoing activity or project or to-do item that you take more time up front and then it's way less time going forward. And I, another thing I'll say is a year from now, do you want to be doing exactly what you are doing right now? Because you're not going to have time to learn and grow and take on higher level responsibilities if you're not delegating some of your work to others. So. That's such a good point. Um, okay. Question number five, Susan, was on different training options, maybe training plans or structure for grooming potential succession candidates. I Mm. know you personally have done a lot of this yourself. So what's your secret for this? Oh, yeah. I am such a big fan of organizations spending time, at least annually, thinking about their succession plans for all their critical roles. And part of that is, first of all, understanding who, who are our critical roles? What are the competencies, the technical competencies necessary in each of those roles? And then as an organization, to be a top leader here, what are those behavioral competencies we need? Once you figure that out and you identify in the organization, we have some emerging talent. We've got people who could t- assume a bigger, better role um, over time. You're probably going to recognize that the, there's very few, if anyone, who's fully baked or ready. And in fact, there was a survey by LinkedIn that said 94% of employees would stay at a company longer if it invested in their career development. You know, cha-ching. We know that we've got people who have got skills that we could develop. We know that employees, they're going to stay with you if you will invest in them. This is a really, I think, easy and smart path to follow. Decide, all right, we've got these potential successors put together individual development plans and the types of things you might want to include on there. You know, first of all, if there's any courses that they might need, maybe from a technical standpoint, they would do well if they go ahead and get their MBA or they would do well if you went ahead and got them some more accounting classes, whatever it is, academically, is there anything we could do to shore them up? 
Secondly, what type of exposure do they need to have? In that development plan, maybe you want them to do a job swap for a period of time or rotate them through some areas that's going to give them a broader understanding of the business. I've seen organizations say, you know, we have a really good analytical person here that is brilliant. We can't afford to lose. Maybe uh, if you want them to someday perhaps be your uh, CEO, Maybe they need to spend some time in sales and some time um, perhaps in the production area so that they get a real understanding. It doesn't mean they have to be there for seven years, but maybe right. seven months, right? So how do we expose them to some other things? And then I guess, you know, there's many other things you could do, but I love assigning somebody a mentor, somebody in the organization that has a totally different experience than they do who can be a guide and kind of challenge them with different types of thinking, I think can be really smart investment in your people. Yeah, love it. Question number six. This is, I think, one that I'd love your answer on this because I don't have one. Um, How do we teach employees the art of patience? Yeah. Well, actually, I was hoping you had a good answer. (laughs) But I, and if someone does have a good method for this, Let me know because I would like to sign up for the class. (laughs) Amen. I so I'm not sure exactly what our listener was was wanting to get from this, but I will tell you, I think life is about setting expectations. Right. And you know, if I'm on the phone with someone or I'm in a meeting and someone says, I'll get this to you right away and I don't get it, I'm going Mm -hmm. to lose my patience really quickly. But Mm -hmm. if that person would say, I'll get that to you next Friday, right? Then Mm -hmm. I know what the expectation is and I don't have to keep bugging them. I don't have to reach out to them. We agreed, assuming we did, that it'll be ready by next Friday. So I just think the key to that is for people at all levels, right, to set expectations. If your manager comes to you and asks for something, you can say, I could get this done by next Friday, or I could get this done this afternoon. But you can set the expectations as well as their manager could set that expectation too. I need this next Friday. This is why I need this next Friday. This is why we have this due date. And just be better at explaining the timelines or communicating better as well too. I think that's really good advice. I often hear from clients that they have uh, people in their workplace that are impatient for that next promotion, that they just, they come in, they've been in a job four months, feel like they learned it, they're ready for the next job. And I think it goes back to your answer is that if that is not the pace at which your company promotes, it's being really transparent and saying, I want to share with you that normally we look at people who've been in a role for two years before we think about promoting them. That may not be the same timeline that you're on, but we want to be fair. We don't want you feeling restless. If it's better for you to make a move to another company, no, we support that as hard as it is because we really like you, but you got to be real about it. Otherwise you can really disengage that impatient employee. Right. And a lot of assumptions are made uh, based on that too, right? Somebody Mm -hmm. might think, I think I'll get promoted this summer. And then they're devastated. But if mm-hmm. they had that expectation up front that 
you know, we're really going to consider that when you've been here longer. Yeah, that's great. My husband always says that he thinks the key to a happy marriage is low expectations. Then you're just constantly delighted. I don't know if it's a compliment or not, but he says, yeah, (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, that's right. Susan, when is the best time to launch sensitivity training? Well, you know, first we should start with, you know, how we would define sensitivity training. It's really, I think, training that aims to help employees within an organization to acknowledge and respond to attitudes and behaviors that may unknowingly offend others. You know, and that could be because of their background, their beliefs, their cultures, the language um, that's different than their own. And I think that, oh gosh, we've seen over the last, when you say 10 years, such a demand for sensitivity training or conscious or unconscious bias training, just civility training. We've just seen such a demand for it. So when is the right time to do it? You know, I'd love to say day one of your company, because if you can nip it in the bud, you're going to have at least more awareness and appreciation of others. But I would say most people try to do it before you have an incident. Um, If you have an incident or an issue where someone's offended, it's rough because then everyone's like, oh, we're doing this because Susie was upset. And they don't take it, I think, with that same, you know, openness or yet the risk they don't have that same openness. Now, sometimes you don't have that luxury. You really haven't invested in it. You've had a situation come up where people are, are feeling unseen, unheard, unvalued. Then you need to do it. So there's not a wrong time. The right time is before your hair's on fire. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Jody, this listener would like to have some specific examples of third-party vendors who provide assessments. Do you have any recommendations? Yes, I'm a really big fan of assessments To It helps us learn more about ourselves and it helps us learn more about others on our team and how they their work style, their, you know, what are they looking for, all kinds of different things. And some assessments are better used for specific things than others, right? I mean, some Clifton Strengths Finder, for example, is not validated for recruiting purposes, but predictive index is validated for recruiting purposes. So make sure before you look into these that you really have defined what is it you're trying to accomplish in doing this. And then choose the best one that will be focused. And maybe that's team development, maybe that's recruiting, maybe that's being a better leader by identifying the styles of your team members. But at Purple Ink, we are really big fans of Clifton Strengths, the DISC profile, and Working Genius, which is a relatively new one that came out within the past couple of years and was developed by Patrick Lencioni. There is also Myers-Briggs, which is one that's been around a long, long, long time, Enneagram, I mentioned predictive index, and there are many, many more. Those are the ones I am personally most familiar with. Susan, another listener asked about getting direction toward more resources to bring training and development programs in-house. 
if you don't already have a dedicated learning and development team. Yeah, I think most small to medium-sized businesses don't have a dedicated training and development team. So I do think that there's opportunity. Certainly, if there's one person on your HR team that has a love or a passion for training, you know, start there with that person. You can certainly get involved with ATD, the Association of Talent Development, who has so many wonderful ideas. Um, Now, you do have to pay to be a member, but what a great uh, organization to really find resources. I'm a big fan of LinkedIn Learning. Depending where you live, your library, if you have a library card, you may have access to all the LinkedIn learning curriculum. And you might decide, you know, we really want to enhance the um, software skills of our workforce, or we want to get better at time management, something that we realize we're not great at. There's courses out there, and you can ask your employees to take these courses and put it part on their individual development plans. There's local colleges and universities that offer all different types of uh, training. Um, Certainly community colleges have wonderful evening, weekend opportunities so that if you don't feel like you can take, people can't leave during the workday, Monday through Friday, there's other alternatives and options out there. And of course, there's also consulting firms out there like Purple Link, like myself, um, Susan Tinder White Consulting, that we're happy to build one-off programs for individuals or deliver. Jody, you have a wonderful repertoire of courses that right on the shelf that probably will fit the needs of uh, many, many clients. So I don't think you have to necessarily go and ask for a huge budget to start a training development uh, organization within your organization. At the right time, it makes absolute sense. But as you're evolving, growing, I would tap into some of the external resources available to you. So our 10th question is the cost of team building. This particular listener says we're on a budget and can really use some pointers. Well, first of all, I like for leaders and or training and development people to understand that there's a report by the Association for Talent Development, which you just mentioned, that companies who have comprehensive training programs have 218% higher income per employee than companies without formalized training. I know training so many times is the first budget to be cut, right? Mm. And I mean, we saw it with our clients during COVID. We had several trainings scheduled during that time and every single one of them got canceled. Now, that might've been the right answer because the focus right then might've been more about safety and figuring out how employees can work from home. But sure. it did take a while for that, for those budgets to increase. So when you say you're on a budget, I just wanna challenge you that it's not just about spending more money. It can be about earning more money. People can learn to be more productive. People can work to get along better. People are, you know, there's just all kinds of different training that I don't think we should consider it as an extra, but that we should consider this as this is something really important we need to do for our people. Question number 11 is, to tell us more about managing training and certification pathways for employees. 
how can we advertise this to potential employees and current employees? Yeah, I honestly would start when you advertise a job. And if you're willing to pay for people to become certified or there's additional training that you're going to provide, I think it's a great way to advertise your role. People want, as we know, to be developed. And so I would advertise it that way. I also think that internally, you always try to re-recruit your team members every single day, letting them know that we will pay for your certification or additional continuing ed hours and making sure that that's not something that people like hear about, but they don't really know about. So I would make sure that I'm blasting information about it periodically in our company newsletter or on our website. And even maybe being as specific about different roles that you have today and what the roles that they people could aspire to, you know, if you have a feeder group of a particular role that tend, you tend to promote from, giving, you know, scenarios and case studies of testimonials of people who have actually risen in your organization. What was the additional education the organization provided for them? Uh, what certifications did the organization pay for so that the person then could assume the new job. I just think you have to shine a light sometimes on the success stories and the pathways. And I've seen some organizations decide that, you know, they're going to have lunch and learns where we'll have a panel of people who were promoted in our organization and they all talk about where did they start and then what, yeah, what other development did they go through to get to the role they're in? That can be very inspiring and Mm -hmm. a great way for employees to network with people that have been with you for a while. Right. I love that idea. Jody, our 12th question from a listener is, how do you create a specific training module for new employees that are in a different job than you? You don't really understand their job. How do you create that training program? So I think you can do lots of different things. You could interview their manager, their supervisor, reach out to peers who might be in that same role to share specifics. You can ask the new hire after the training and after working for a few weeks or months to go back and say, was this helpful to you? What were we missing? What should be changed? What should be added? Your first time around with it, it might not, you know, you might not capture everything, but keep getting that constant feedback about it to make it better. Someone also asked about how to start a career in learning and development. I've seen people start from all different avenues. Um, I've seen a number of teachers that really enjoyed teaching, but they wanted to teach adults. And so I've seen that as a really nice entree. People applying to companies that have openings for a trainer, and I've often seen where they've asked for educational background. So I think that's a good way. I do think there's many HR professionals out there that they really enjoy when they get a chance to get in front of a group. Um, And so I would ask, you know, you always say that uh, closed mouths don't get fed. You know, raise your hand when there's a new opportunity coming along to do some training. Ask to do it. If you're not in HR at all and your organization is going to start some type of a new initiative or project, you know, step up and say, hey, I would love to learn this first. I'd love to be a trainer for others. Raising your hand, I think, is a really smart route to go. I'm thinking about a trainer that I helped hire 
a number of years ago, she had been doing comedy. She had gone through Second oh. City and she just loved working with the crowd. She'd never trained a day in her life. And when we interviewed her, we just said, oh my gosh, we've got to get this person in front of people. I think she's right. We can teach her the mechanics of what we need trained, but we're never going to find anybody who's got that presence. And I still stay in touch with her. And she's to this day a phenomenal trainer and she's even grown her skills in content development, instructional design. Really, really fun. So I think I, I would say there's really no barrier to what you've done in the past. If you have a desire to start in, in training and development, it's volunteering, asking, posting, and getting your, your name out there. And then finally, our last listener question on this topic, Jody, is how can HR best support managers with varying levels of leadership training, or even if the training is standardized, varying levels of skill and experience? Yeah, so this can be tricky, right? And I have been in courses like this and I have taught in courses like this. But one of the things I mentioned earlier was, well, two things I mentioned earlier. One was about setting expectations and two was creating a learning environment where people can learn from each other. So one particular manager training that I've taught for many years, I just recognize the fact that people are at different levels. And, you know, I might say, I know that several of you have been leading people for a while. For some of you, this is brand new to you. And some of you are just starting to do this. So would love to hear uh, more about your questions and experiences that you can share on this topic too. So instead of trying to avoid the topic and act like everything we say is going to appeal to everyone, just recognize that, hey, this can still be valuable to everyone. We hope the experienced people add on and, and pick up a few tips to do it better, but that a brand new person can be learning and growing into this skill or manager role as well too. Mm, makes sense. You know, I don't know who said it, but I think we've all heard this probably many times that someone went, once said, what do you do if you train your people and they leave? But it is suggested the real question there is, what if you don't train them and they stay, right? Mm -hmm. So don't we also, as leaders in organizations, want our people, not only you mentioned about the retention and how that is so much better if we give them those opportunities, but also for them just to learn and grow and better serve your organization. Yes. So typically we have a separate listener question, but today we had 14. <laughs> so That's I probably did, enough. I did not add a separate one today. But in, our, in the news section, in a 2023 study by Bamboo HR on what does a human resource leader look like in 2023, Susan, why don't you kick us off? Sure. While 100% of the Fortune 100 companies have human resource leadership, only 35% of Inc.'s 100 startups have dedicated HR support. Mm. 
And of those startup companies, 81% of them, women, lead HR. 85% of enterprises have diversity, equity, and inclusion leadership positions compared to just 3% of Inc.'s 100 startups. Startups are rebranding human resources. 39% of startups refer to HR with titles that include people, such as chief people officer, compared to just 21% of enterprise companies. Just one in five HR managers hold certifications from the Society for Human Resource Management, SHRM, or other professional organizations. Interesting. That really surprised me. Yeah, me too. HR managers at Fortune 100 companies have four times as many followers on social media as compared to HR leaders at startups. I thought that was an interesting statistic. Mm -hmm. HR managers are LinkedIn power users with 80% accumulating 500 or more LinkedIn connections. Interesting. Well, thank you for joining us today and make it a joy-powered day. Thank you. If you would like SHRM recertification credit for listening to this podcast, please visit getjoypowered.com slash SHRM. You'll find an evaluation of the podcast, and once you complete the evaluation, you will see the SHRM recertification credit code and a link to a proof of participation certificate. Again, that's getjoypowered.com slash SHRM. Thank you for listening, and thanks for your dedication to the HR profession. If you liked the show, please tell your friends about it and let us know what you think by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. You can learn more about Joy Powered at getjoypowered.com. Check out the Joy Powered shop where you can order our books, journals, and other items that power our joy at getjoypowered.com shop. We're at Joy Powered on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can email us at joypowered at gmail.com. We hope you tune in next time. Make it a joy-powered day.